0: uh, Kyle's internal monologue on this episode. We're going to be covering Midnight on the fiery line the very first episode of the first season of Babylon 5 after we just last week covered The Gathering which was the pilot movie. So without further ado, let's get started here. So the The thing about the midnight on the fiery line is that it is in my humble opinion one of the best series openers I've ever seen the only one I can think of that is even close, if not better, is, th- is 33, which is the series opener of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica uh, after its pilot movie as well. They both introduce us to these characters in interesting ways, put them through the ringer, while also telling us what this show is going to be like and what it's going to be about. Midnight in the Fiery Line is actually much more of... Resembling what a pilot should be than the Gathering is as, as I said before the Gathering is a bit of an oddball in certain respects uh, As far as pr- not only the production it looks a hell of a lot different compared to the rest of the series, but also uh, The the tone and the feel of it Midnight mean if I much closer to what you will expect to see going down the line in Babylon 5 um, there's we we get introduced to two very important characters as well we get susan vanova who is amazing um played by Kwale christensen who uh vanova replaces laurel takashima who i'm glad is gone honestly i did not think that either of the performances of the previous actress were all that great to be honest um as I mentioned, the original intent behind that character was fascinating. It would be it would be interesting to see where that would be go- that would be going going forward. However, I think the overall story with Ivanova is much stronger, uh, and Ivanova is already a strong character uh, to begin with. I, I mean, she gets the best scene in this episode, uh, which comes at the very end. It's between her and Talia. Uh, in the scene in the bar uh, but I'll be getting to that in a minute we also get introduced to Veer uh, Veer is a very important character and w- w- what's great about him is that he's kind of an incompetent buffoon but not really it's just the way he acts he's very nervous around things and it's, it's quite understandable actually considering where uh, w- where he's coming from I mean uh, it's important to think about that Londo requested a uh, a staff uh assistance uh for uh, uh for being the ambassador of babylon five and all he got was this one person who is this kind of bumbling humble guy is the complete contrast to lando to veer this is a massive uh, step up from what he used to be but Lando understands he's the he's he's the older much wiser sintari and he sees it for the joke it is and i mean we get hints at it we won't get confirmation till way later but th- there's hints that Lando's job here is he he got the job because no one else wanted it uh this is a joke job and i i mean we see that in the way Lando presents himself, he's kind of uh, out there and crazy, and uh, he's he's not what you expect for an ambassador because he's just kind of he's lost. Uh, and Veer is the total opposite, who's incredibly nervous and sees this as an incredibly serious thing, and is trying to make it m- make right by things. And Lando sees it as for the joke it is so uh... he's... Agent Bastard gets an assistant uh... Jakar will infamously have a revolving door for a while uh... and, and then and then Natoth the will disappear after season... was mid season two uh... but it, I, the way that goes is actually very interesting and then of course Lanier is amazing but we haven't actually gotten to Lanier yet uh... the replacement for Dr. Kyle has not shown up. He will be showing up in a couple episodes from now, um, so uh, we get some interesting stuff there. Uh, but for now, uh, everything's everything is uh, starting to resemble closer to what what Babylon Five will become. Uh, we got we got Talia. Uh, Ta- Talia, we don't know much about her yet. Uh, she's she seems a bit more formal then lita was um a bit more psychor i i guess we don't know a, little, a hell of a lot about the psychor yet but the way she talks about things i, I mean that I, I that scene between her and ivanova in the bar of uh, her just saying hey that's the law you know of uh when I was like have you ever seen the results you know you you get, th- you get three choices you join the side core, you go to prison you take the sleepers and, and Talia just matter of fact goes that's the law uh, tele- uh, telepaths have to be controlled for the, uh, the better bit of society and of just has that look of utter disdain when she says that because she knows what the psychor does, but Talia has been raised by the psychor Uh, she grew up with it. She, that propaganda is in her head, and it's constantly in her head, as far as she's concerned, they the right, that they're in the right, when, in actuality, it's a much more complicated topic, and neither one of them is truly right, and neither one of them is truly wrong, though, as we find out, the psychor is kind of crazy, and insane, but uh there, there, there's there's this underlying theme of freedom versus control, and neither side is correct or wrong. uh it is left up to the viewer to decide which they think is right, which is actually the mature way to handle uh those kind of morality questions. Now speaking of propaganda, we find out about that the the Sinclairs have been pilots since the very beginning, uh, since the Battle of Britain uh, and uh, one of the things that Sinclair's father taught him was ignore the propaganda uh, and yeah, ignore the propaganda, focus on what you see which is a reoccurring theme throughout B5 itself is believe what you see, not what you hear basically Uh, and uh, it's interesting to see that being said from the very beginning here now the the overall story of this has to do with ragesh 3 and the narns retaliating and taking it back and it it used to be a, a Narn colony 100 years ago and then the centauri subjugated the narn and they lost it a hundred years ago and it's this ongoing cycles of violence Uh, we perpetuate cycles of violence with our actions and cycles of violence will never ever end because they just keep going you know one side will blame the other they'll retaliate then over time that side that has now been oppressed will then rise up and retaliate against the oppressors and then the the oppressees will become the oppressors it is this constant state of cycles of violence that will never end it exists in real life and exists in Babylon 5 Babylon 5 is very true to life in that and it's the ultimate the bully becomes the bull uh, the the the, uh, the the person who is bullied becomes the bully um it's inevitable um and, and we see how how the the different factions view that so you know Chakar is very proud Uh, of what he's doing Uh, his very arrogant way of presenting himself you know the wheels the wheel turns does it not Malari it is our turn now Uh, and then uh, Londo's sort of apathy towards everything you know he even says that I'm fast approaching apathy uh, and uh, it's just diplomacy is just a paper fantasy of names and borders this is this is a world. This is a galaxy that has been through the ringer, especially these races. The non in the Centauri. They are so connected to each other. Uh, and to, to quote something that's coming up in the future, uh, obsessed with each other, uh, each other's death until death is all that remains. Um, they have been going at this fight for hundreds of years at this point, and it will never end. And they've just grown tired of it. Um, and what, what I love about it is that it would it would just be an ordinary political situation, but we actually make it relatable to uh to the viewer. So we make Lando's nephew, Karn, be on the agricultural colony of Ragesh three. So that gives Lando a personal connection to to the to the political goings on, so we understand where he's coming from and gives the viewer a way to connect to this ongoing political dispute between these two races that is not just this uh it's not just a series of un meetings basically the babylon advisory council operates very much like our real life un and that's how this show was envisioned was space un so uh it's not just a bunch of nameless people arguing in a room about diplomacy and and whatnot. It gives a personal connection, which is very important to stories. Is that the viewer must have some sort of personal connection, uh, through a character, to a conflict. Now, one one thing I do like is the. the this is very much a that there's a lot of real world historical parallels like i've said the cycles of violence is something that exists in real life but also if you look at it this is very much uh the world pre-world war Two. um the narn are just rolling in uh and taking taking territories and you know uh, they're just letting them have it, just giving them concessions, and just go, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, take it. Feel free. We do, we're, we're, they're world-weary. We They don't want war. They don't want war at all. And that's why, you know, the Great Centauri Republic, the Great Lion of the Galaxy, to quote uh, Lando, does nothing. Not only have they lost... the they're, 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 they're all bark-no-bite. They've lost their uh their sense of being conquerors. they're no longer that. they're just the jokes of the galaxy now um but also in World War II parallels, you know the the Nazis were conquering various different areas and uh, the, the the League of Nations was just going, okay, yeah, go ahead, take it And because because the, the World War one was not too long ago, everybody was kind of afraid of going to war again. so they just let them take it. And of course, that led to complications down the line, and eventually did lead the war uh, because these thing, kind of things always lead the war. Um, it's it, it, and we even get the the deal of um, Earth Earth wanting to be the policeman of the galaxy. And, you know, Sinclair going, okay, well we need to we need to vote for sanctions, and Earth going, no, we're in the middle of election, we can't do that. Uh, that that kind of thing uh so uh there's a lot of real world historical parallels uh, like i said this is this show is very much the un in space uh so uh, it takes on a much larger real life political uh ramifications as a result um now before I get into spoilers, I do want to mention that the, the, the Lando and Jakar scene, not, not Lando and Jakar, Lando and Garibaldi scene is fantastic, both of them. So you get the, uh, because The Gathering was a year, uh, a year ago, basically, as far as, not only in, in fictional terms, because The Gathering was 2257, this is 2258, but um, in real life terms, there was a year gap in production um you the we have to rehash certain uh, exposition that we got in the gathering so in the midnight of the firing line We get that opening scene with Londo and Garibaldi where they're talking about how uh, the Centauri were the first uh, race that the humans encountered uh, when they went to space and uh, You know uh, we, we thought your world was beta 9. It was actually beta 12. I'm sorry here open my wrists uh, You know Centauri don't have major arteries in their wrists. I know what do you think? I'm stupid. The, that, that entire scene, it, it's hilarious, but also helps get out some really nice exposition, and also shows us that Garibaldi and Londo are good friends, because later on in the episode, when they have to be confronted, where, where they confront each other, where Londo goes to kill Jakar out of pure anger, you know, blood calls out for blood, uh, and... Garibaldi stops him and he goes, I understand better than you think I do. You know, I I understand where you are, but you can't do this. Um, Because I just want to point out that Garibaldi, we know that he has not, we know he has not a great track record. We know he has a checkered past uh, back on Mars. And I, I don't think this is a spoiler to say that in a future episode in season three, he will say, I'm an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of guy. He fully believes in revenge. He understands what it's like uh, to feel that kind of anger, but he understands that there's a time and place for that. And now is not the time, because if Londo kills Jakar, it will get a lot worse. And so he's trying to tell Londo, just go away, go back. And he doesn't he doesn't arrest him. He's just like and he even warns him when when he finally convinces Londo to turn Turn back and go back to his quarters. He's like I'm gonna have to go and search your quarters for any weapons make sure I don't find anything and then uh, And, and then Londo asks, would you know, would you have killed me just now? And he said yes But the paperwork would have been a pain so he plays it off as a joke, but says yes, it is my job That's what I would have done I would have done anything to protect this station and the security because that is my job but I am your friend and I respect you I I think the relationship is very fascinating especially some of the stuff that's coming up there's a scene in season 2 I can think of an episode called Acts of Sacrifice that is perhaps one of my favorite scenes in the entire series that is between these two people because they have this weird friendship with each other the very opposite people they uh, come from very different lifestyles but they still respect one another in a very interesting way. And they care about duty. That is very important to both of them, is the duty to do the right thing for their people. For Garibaldi, it's the security of the station and his friend who's the commander. And for Londo, it is the betterment of the Centauri. I, I do want to point out that the ending, uh, the, the the ending, there there's a scene at the end uh, with uh, where uh because throughout this the the episode garibaldi had been like i i want to show you my second favorite thing in the entire universe and he first asked talia Talia uh, just declines and it's played as a joke uh and then we see the lynn and then watching duck doctors uh, this of course sets up the fact that garibaldi loves the looney tunes which will actually become an ongoing character thread for him um but also uh it's fascinating for Delenn because, of course she would say yes, because she's fascinated by Earth culture and humans in general, mainly because of this Clara situation that I'm not going to get into, but also the fact that her race was at war with the humans because they, they didn't quite understand them and now she's the ambassador so she's fascinated with understanding more about human no- nature and human culture and there's that great moment where she's holding a piece of popcorn and she doesn't understand what she's supposed to do with it and she's examining it while watching Duck Dodgers and it is just adorable and that th- that scene epitomizes D'Lynn's fascination with humans right there and it's a lot of fun um, now, uh, I love the scene, just before I get into spoilers, I do love that scene between Kosh and Sinclair. It is the most of Vorlon's scene of all time. It is, Kosh doesn't answer a single question. He simply states what he feels and is very aristocratic about things. As I said before, the Vorlons are all about uh perpetuating the legends about them so that you're afraid of them so that they're mysterious so that you will be obedient to them so when when he when he goes they are a dying people we should let them pass and then Sinclair asks you know the who the non in the Centauri Kosh simply says yes because he knows what's coming up in the future uh, but not only that but he's also stating uh, he's he's trying to perpetuate the mystery of the vorlons that maybe they know more than they're saying that maybe just maybe uh there there is something <laughs> it's is the metaphor of the, the encounter suit there's something there's something more going on underneath uh than than what they display on the outside which kind of true and kind of not they are the, they are mysterious yes but once we find out what they are and what they've been doing they are a bit different than what you expect uh, so that's what that scene is there for is not only the setup of the, the non centauri conflict but also the set of the mystery the Vorlons again now I'm gonna get into spoilers I I don't have much in the way of spoilers right now uh, a lot of this stuff will come up later uh, Uh, And I could talk about it in the context of the episode, so I only have two points. So uh, the first and most obvious one, of course, is the election that's going throughout the episode uh, between Marie Crane and Luis Santiago. And of course, at the end of the episode, Luis Santiago uh, is elected president uh and he he, you know he 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 wants better connection with mars but there's also this uh, underlying idea of preservation of human human culture in the 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 the, the more uh, more non-terran influences Um, but Ivanova's line is fantastic it's a commentary on multiple things but also a setup you know uh, I, to me, I think a leader should have a strong chin, and he he doesn't have it, He doesn't have a chin, and his vice president has several. To me, this is not a very good combination. Uh, this is a commentary on the fact that a lot of people vote based on physical appearance or other factors other than the platforms that a politician is running on. But also, it is a set of the fact that Clark, vice president Clark. Is not a trustworthy kind of person, uh, because he's gonna take over very soon. At The end of this episode, or not the end of this end of the season. Uh, he's going to assassinate uh, Santiago and take over. So it's a nice setup, but also it's a nice commentary. And, and and I like how it's kind of subtly in the background. This on the election feeds into the a plot. Uh, you know that Earth. Earth doesn't have time to deal with the non-Satari conflict because they're dealing with their own election. But and it doesn't seem like this... It seems like a big deal in the political landscape, but ultimately it's in the background, it has nothing to do with our main characters. But, of course, in classic Babylon 5 style, it's gonna come back, and it's gonna come back in a major way, and it's gonna become one of the most important plot points for the rest of the series. Uh, so, in a very, it's very Babylon 5 to put that subtly in the background, to get you thinking about it, but... ...ignores it just enough so that you don't think it's too blatant. And of course, the final spoiler part is uh, during my favorite scene in the entire episode, between Talia and Ivanova in the bar. Uh, you know where where Ivanova is talking about her mother's suicide, and how horrible that was, and uh, we we will find out more about uh, Ivanova's mother's suicide and the the, the thing with. Uh, the psychor and Telepasses, there's no easy answer to it. Uh, leaving those kind of... Uh, someone with those kind of powers unchecked is a bad thing, but leaving them fully in the control uh, is a bad thing, too. I mean, we... we, we spells out there are three choices. You join the psychor, which are, to quote Sheridan in the future, also known as Fascists are Us. They are not good people and never will be good people and then you have go to prison which uh, for life life imprisonment and then you take the sleeper pills and the sleepers as we we find out you know a man in a suit comes by your house every week and injects you with it and it, it, it's hinted at that it kills part of your brain because that's what drove Ivanov's of his mother to suicide. Uh, is, is those sleepers so it, it, no option is good but leaving them unchecked is just as bad so there's no easy answer to it and I, and I love how that's driven home is that both sides are are not great uh, but, and, and both sides could lead to something bad but I think the biggest bit in that scene that hits me like a truck every time I watch it is the is the moment where uh where a says what what's sad is that you're just as much as victim as my mother and talia with the straightest face goes i don't feel like the victim which of course as we find out in season two she is just as much a victim as Ivanov's mother because the talia winters personality is a fake personality generated by the psychor to get on the better graces Of the babylon 5 crew to infiltrate because her real personality the control personality is there underneath the surface and is slowly but surely manipulating things to make sure that psychor ends up on top in babylon 5. um it is one of the saddest things uh i've ever 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 witnessed because that that scene doesn't play the same the first time you're just like, oh, she's defending her employer, the you know, she grew up around the psycho, of course she's defending them. But the second time through, and every time subsequent, you feel the pain because you know what's actually meant underneath that. Because Jameis had this all planned out, so, yeah, she is the victim. And that is truly sad. So next up, uh, the, next, the next episode we'll be covering next week will be Soul Hunter. Uh, so look forward to covering that. And we get some nice setup for the Sinclair arc. Um, so uh, see you next week. Thank you.